What's up, fam? You're about to hear a message from Hope Valley Church in Denver, Colorado. We are a new, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible church and campus ministry in Denver, Colorado. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for like a day or a whole lifetime, we trust that this message will help you take your next steps to follow him. If you're in the Denver metro area, we would love for you to come and worship with us. You can check us out at our website at hvdenver.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to follow, like, subscribe, however you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Oh, and share. Now, let's jump in. We are continuing in the book of Luke in our little mini-series in Denver as in heaven. And we are, we are examining God's heart for us as believers here in the city of Denver as we join him in his great mission of making all things new. And we are trusting that, uh, that through this series, maybe that our hearts would be stirred with anticipation for the things of God. Uh, we started by talking about how God wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you and he is speaking. It's only a matter of whether or not we can tune our, tune our ears and tune our heart and tune our mind to God's frequency so that we can receive what, he's having to sh- what he has to share with us. Last week, Pastor Megan preached on, on prayer, how God, not only do we hear from God, but he's given us uh, the gift of prayer so that we can share with him the things that are on our heart, so that we can offload burdens from our heart to the heart of God, and so that the divine exchange can take place. His purpose for, uh, our purpose for his purpose, our plan for his plan, our burden for his burden. And the, the scripture promises that his burden is easy and his yoke is light compared to anything that you could put on yourself. Today, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about getting free. Getting free. In Denver, as in heaven, there's, a, there's an aspect of freedom that God wants us to walk in. And quite honestly, I think that this is maybe the most personally challenging thing for every single one of us, but also the most uh, kind of the, 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 big, the biggest thing here in our city. And I'm going to use some language that's that's spiritual, like talking about oppression, and it, it can sound kind of big and heavy and weighty, but as we get into it, I think that God's going to help us see that, that, yeah, actually, this is something that has our city held captive. Uh, in some ways, I think we'll find that we ourselves are also held captive in ways that we, we've made peace with um, accidentally. Uh, We're looking at Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 23. If you could stand to your feet out of reverence for scripture. Um, It is nine verses, so I'll have have Pastor Megan read all of this for us. Um, And so uh, you didn't have a warning. So I don't think there are any, Beelzebel is like the scary word. Everything else I think is pretty straightforward. I love it. Are are we all reading together? Uh, No, I was thinking you could just read. It's great. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan is also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do, you, do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, 
guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when, he, when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless place seeking rest and finds none. It says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. They enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. This is God's word to us. Jesus, I pray that you'd open our ears, our eyes, and our heart, that we would hear Pastor David's message, and even more intensely, we'd hear you, Holy Spirit, speaking, speaking to us and bringing us into freedom. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So we do believe that participation is better than? I encourage you to take notes. I really do expect that the Spirit of God wants to speak to you, not just about the city of Denver, not just about kind of the cosmic plan of God, but very specifically about your life and about the freedom that he intends for you and the ones that you love to walk in, in fullness. Today I'm going to talk about how we enter into oppression, how we embrace or live in in oppression or under oppression, and then how we get free from it how we get free from oppression. But before we do that, I want to make a couple quick observations about about this text. Number one is that uh, it's clear from this text that the enemy has a plan for our lives, and so does God. The enemy has a plan for your life, and so does God have a plan for your life. And those plans are at odds with one another. And you're like, well, I've got a plan for my life too. Yes. (laughs) More cosmically, the devil has a plan for you and God has a plan for you. God's plan is the one that brings us into life and into wholeness and into freedom in a way that uh, nothing else on this earth ever can or would. And there are ways to cooperate with the freedom and the wholeness of God that he has for us. But it's not, it's not uh, something that can be accomplished on our own. And we'll get to that when we talk about getting free. The second thing that it is just amusing to me, but I love that after this, after Jesus delivers this man from a spirit that had him mute and unable to speak, everybody's still demanding a sign. And you'll see that as a, you'll see that as a pattern all the way through the book of Luke and through the New Testament in general, that Jesus does a miracle and then people kind of flock to him and they're like, show us something to prove that you're God. And he's like, you mean like the thing I just did? And then Jesus goes so far as to say like, he'll be like, no sign's gonna be given to you. You know, and and I just find it so ironic that people are asking him for a sign, but refusing the sign that's in front of them. And I think that for for those of us who are seeking after God and want to see God, we find ourselves asking for a sign. God, show me that you're real. Show me that you're around. Show me that you have a plan and a purpose for my life. And he's like, other than all the ways I'm already doing it. And so the problem is not that Jesus is doing it. The problem for us oftentimes is that we don't recognize who it is that's doing it, or we don't recognize that it's being done. And it's a spiritual act to see those two things at work, both to see God's hand opening up doors for us to reveal his plan and purpose for us, but then also to understand when it's God. Because sometimes it just feels like a dude yelling at you from the front of the room on a Sunday morning. Sometimes it feels like your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or your spouse harassing you, nagging you. The most helpful advice I got in marriage 
was at a marriage conference. It was actually an aside. Pastor Russ Austin, he said, he said sometimes when, when, you're, when your spouse is nagging you, they're really just telling you what's most important to them in a way that you don't want to hear it. And I was like, oh, man. And as I took that thought and I kind, of ex- I kind of copy and paste it onto my other relationships, I began to realize that sometimes when I see a theme arise in my life across lots of different people, it's actually God chasing me down to teach me something or get my attention. And he's just using absolutely everyone as, at his disposal to get my attention. It's not always the way that I want it. In fact, oftentimes it's very much not. Oftentimes, it's very much uh, the opposite of how I would rather receive it. And it's not always even the message that the person thinks they're bringing. But it's always God trying to get my attention to teach me something. Does that make sense? I've had people come to me with remarkable clarity telling me exactly what it was that the problem was in in a certain situation. And they weren't necessarily right exactly. They weren't right about what the problem was, but they were right about God wanting to do something. And the conversation got me started in a journey to seek after what God's purpose it was in that moment. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. And I'm confident that God wants to do the same thing for every single one of us. When I was reading this passage, I was reminded of a story. In August uh, 1973, there was a a gentleman named Jan-Erik Olsen. Anybody know that name? Jan-Erik Olsen. He's kind of a famous bank robber. He robbed a bank in Stockholm, Sweden. And it's from this and a number uh, number of other instances that the, the phrase Stockholm Syndrome, have you ever heard of that? Uh, it's this and a number of other things that, that people have derived that name from. But he tried to rob a bank and it didn't go very well. So he took four hostages. And he took these hostages and he brought somebody else in. And they were holding them hostage. And, 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 and in a short amount of time, the people that were being held hostage by Jan Eric Olsen actually started to come over to his side. So when the prime minister called into the bank and tried to talk to the captives, and he's like, we're doing everything that we can. The people who were his victims and the people who were being held at, at, you know, like on, on the edge of death started arguing on their behalf. Not because, it, like, they, want, they started getting angry at the government because the government wasn't coming through for Jan Eric Olsen. They're like, you should be doing this. You're doing the wrong thing by not helping him. It wasn't like, hey, do everything that you can to get me free. It was, you should be doing more to help him. And that blows me away. And it existed over a period of time. And and the longer that they stayed as hostages, the more aligned with their hostage taker they became. And so by the, time, by the time they finally got out, we, we learned later that they were afraid of the police coming in because they were afraid that the police did not have their interest in mind. That the police somehow were on the other team than the hostages. That, that now it was the hostages and the hostage takers on one team and then the police, the prime minister, and everybody else on the other side. And they found themselves aligned with the hostage takers more than they found themselves aligned with the people who were seeking after their safety and their welfare. The people were so moved in this time, they so aligned with their hostage takers that when they got out, they actually raised money to pay the lawyers to try and get them out of jail. That's how aligned these, these hostages became with their hostage takers. What does that have to do with this? I wonder if some of us have been so overpowered by our enemy. We've been held captive for so long that we've actually begun to align our hearts with the enemy's plan 
we've actually begun to align our plan and our purpose with the enemy's lies. And we're actually more afraid of God coming in and messing up our lives than when, because, because he wants us to be free than we are nervous about staying captive to our hostage taker. I wonder how many of us have either made complete peace with the hostage taker and we've accepted things that we shouldn't have accepted. We've made peace being captive as opposed to or, or maybe, maybe if you haven't made full peace with it, maybe you're struggling and you're considering making peace with it. This is just the way it's going to be. This is just the way that it has to be. It was the way it was for my siblings. It's the way it was for my parents and my grandparents. And this is just how it's going to be always and forever as a sign of living in a fallen world. My life is going to be a sign of a fallen life. I wonder how many of us find ourselves in that kind of circumstance. Some of us are so whooped by the enemy that we've made peace with our position and we're not fighting it anymore. It actually, on a personal level, it reminded me of the time, I think it was my 35th birthday, my, my sister decided to, uh, to have me murdered for my birthday. I mean, she, she hired an MMA coach and she, she got me some <laughs> MMA lessons. And so I went to this gym and, and um, I, I, was, I was like trying to size up the guy and he was, he was fit. I mean, he was strong. And so we did some training exercises and I'm going through these. I think I had five of them. So the first one was great. We did all these drills and I left sore and tired. And then I did it again and I left sore and tired. The third time I came in, his face was jacked up. He was messed up and he had lost his fight the previous weekend. So this guy that I was afraid of, it turns out he was a loser. And... <laughs> And so at the end of our, at the end of our, uh, <laughs> at the end of our, our lesson, he's like, so, hey, you want to take it to the mat? And I was like, this guy's a total loser. Of course I want to take it to the mat. And so, so, so we got it on, on the mat. We were grappling and I whooped him. And then I realized I was almost unconscious. I, I thought I was whooping him. And he did some kind of thing. I don't even know what it, I wish it was on video, but he did some kind of thing that took me from a position of complete power and I was destroying his life. I was taking his soul out of him. And then next thing I know, I'm like going dark. It's going dark. And, and I was like, I have no idea. What, I have no idea to this day what happened. But I do know it's the closest I've ever come to feeling like I was gonna die. And I remember at a moment being like, I could fight him. Or I, this could just be the end. This might just be the end. I was so overpowered that I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So I struggled with my last little bit of strength and then he let go. But, but there was nobody there to deliver me. And I wonder if, like me in that MMA match, like these hostages taken in Stockholm in 1973, if many of us are afraid that there's nobody out there to deliver us. I want to talk very quickly today about, uh, about how we get into bondage or how we get in and into, a, into and under oppression, how we stay in oppression and how we can get out. How we get into oppression, how we get into this place where we're hostages to the enemy's plan for our lives uh, is that sometimes the enemy tricks us into it and we just kind of run headlong into it thinking that it's going to be appealing or exciting, really fun, right? Like, yeah, acid will be a lot of fun. 
Like cocaine will be a, 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 like a wild trip. And I will always control my urges as it comes to drugs and as it maybe comes to this relationship. I'm going to chase after it and I'm going to get something from it. And then we find ourselves thinking that we're on top of it only to realize that we've been flipped upside down and now we're under it. Sometimes we're raised into it. We're just living the life and doing the thing that we saw our parents doing, that we saw our grandparents doing, that our friends are doing, that our coworkers are doing, and we're brought in like it's the party and it's the best thing. This is what we do. When marriage gets hard, we quit. When, when children get out of line, we beat them. When we get out of line, we're beaten and things are taken from us. Like we can so quickly come to a place where we're beginning to live the life that we saw growing up or that we see being lived around us or that's playing out on media in front of us that we begin to agree with it and be, that must be the way. That must be God's plan. That must be God's purpose. That must be how this life is supposed to be lived out because that's how I've seen it lived out. But God actually has a different idea for us. We just haven't seen it. Sometimes, sometimes oppression starts as a coping mechanism. I kind of alluded to this with the drug analogy, but sometimes we start because we're trying to numb the pain of our life or numb our past experience or chase a high or get some sort of encouragement or inspiration that we just can't seem to find any other place. And so we hunt for it in every place that we can possibly find it. And we, and we go for it as a coping mechanism to, to numb the pain of a hard life and a difficult circumstances or, or the things that haunt us from the past or the things that haunt us from the future. As someone who, who struggles with anxiety and depression, I, I get that. I understand that because I would just like sometimes to be carried away to some place where it's easy. And Christianity doesn't promise to carry, away to us, carry us away to a place that's easy. But the world has a lot of different ways of promising things that will carry you, carry you away and make things easy. Where the Bible doesn't promise us a carrying away in this life, what it does promise us is that in the midst of whatever circumstances we face, the Spirit of God is there to dwell with us in whatever difficulty we have to carry us through. And that at the end of a life well lived in Jesus, at the end of a life well lived, loved by God, then we get ushered into eternity where we get to live forever and we get to realize the things that have eluded us and evaded us in this life. You know, sometimes we just jump into oppression because we thought it was a good idea or we thought it'd be fun. The scariest part of this passage is, is, um, is the two verses, 21 and 22, where it says, when a, when a strong man is fully armed and, and guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons and carries off his belongings. What this passage is referring to is that there is a time and a place where we, it's referring to us as the possession. We're the one who's being uh, possessed, who's being held, who's being captive, who is the hostage, who is getting choked out. That's us in this, in this story. The enemy is the one who's guarding his palace and, and, and it seems safe and it seems good and it seems friendly and it seems like, okay, I've got it going on enough. I, when I compare my life to the lives around me, I, I've got it going on well enough that I don't want to change anything, I don't want to disrupt it, and I'll just continue to live in this, in this kind of numb state, in this broken state, in this humbled state, in this hostage state, because I, don't, I, can't even, I can't even fathom what it would be like to be free. It's safer to remain captive than it is to be free. Jesus, the, the enemy keeps us in this place because 
because the strong man can convince us that the devastation of leaving his hold would be more destructive than, than, than staying in it. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been in a really bad relationship and you're like, I gotta get out of this relationship? But man, the pain of losing this relationship might be worse than the freedom gained by getting out of the relationship. So you just maintain it. You just stay in it. I wonder if you've had a substance abuse problem in, in, or maybe you're currently wrestling with it and you're considering, you're, you're considering it and you're like, I don't want the life that I've got, but I'm scared that the life that is on the other side of this might be even worse than the life I'm experiencing now. I wonder if that's part of your story. I wonder if, I wonder if, if we make peace so quickly with, with the things that oppress us and we serve it because we're concerned that maybe God's heart for us, his plan for us, isn't actually one of love, concern, and compassion. It isn't one of deliverance and freedom. I wonder if maybe you're addicted to online things, be it shopping or pornography or other things. And I wonder if these online, if these online habits give you just enough dopamine give you just enough encouragement, just enough reward when you look at that website or you buy that thing, you're getting just enough that you, that you fear the life not getting that dopamine hit. I wonder if, I wonder if we've exchanged uh, like temporary hits of dopamine for freedom. For freedom. Sometimes we're totally defeated. Sometimes our appetite keeps us in oppression. Like we, we cultivate and develop an appetite for things. Oftentimes, I think more often than not, we're held in, in a place of oppression or in a place of bondage by the enemy because of shame and fear. Has anybody ever been afraid to confess a weakness because you were afraid that you were going to lose people or maybe even lose God in the process? The best news of this is that God already knows and the church should be filled with people who also know because they've known God because of like through our, like the church is not a gathering of people who have it all together so we serve God. The church is, is, a, is a gathering of people who say, I'm desperate for God to do for me what I can't do for myself. What no human being can do for themselves. Shame is the fear of rejection, and I think the fear of rejection keeps us locked up much more, uh, much more powerfully and much more enduringly than we could ever have realized. Alongside of that is fear, but sometimes I think that the problem actually stems from Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where it says, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who keeps the law. You might have heard, where there's a vision, the people perish. Have you heard it said that way? That's exactly this verse. But what it's saying is better than just a vision or an idea. It's not like, it's not like an idea of our own making that allows us to walk in freedom. But it's a vision that comes from heaven. It's a vision of the glory of God. It's, it's realizing that there is freedom available. And I'm here to let you know today that freedom is available. In all of the ways that our heart longs for freedom, it is available through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Freedom is available. 
And I think that even the church has, has forgotten that freedom is available and we find ourselves held hostage by the things of this world and we don't live in the freedom that Jesus purchased for us because we forgot that it was available. Is this helping anybody but me? Does anybody else need a reminder that freedom is available? Like, you don't have to be addicted to online things. You don't have to be addicted to alcohol. You do not have to be addicted to substances. You do not have to stay in a broken relationship. Now hear me, there's so many layers to this. There's so many layers to this. There's physiological layers, there's emotional and mental layers, and there's spiritual layers. I'm gonna be speaking primarily about the spiritual layers with acknowledgement that there's physiological and emotional mental layers that need to be wrestled with as well, okay? So in no way, shape, or form, as we start to look towards what does it look like to walk into the freedom of God, am I saying that just praying it away is gonna make it, make it go away, okay? You hear me? But it's gonna break the spiritual power of the enemy to hold you captive so that the emotional, mental, and physical work can have power and efficacy that it would not have otherwise. Are you tracking? Because sometimes what we do in the church is we just, we just curse and bind and, and pray. And like, if you just prayed louder, prayed longer, if you really believed, or if you showed up at church every Sunday, or if you joined a service team, or jumped into a small group, then you'd be free. No, no, no. no. We, are, we are a much more complicated person than that. And so sometimes we make it all about the spiritual and we disregard the physiological and the emotional. Or sometimes, as is happening in the church presently, sometimes we move all the way over to the physical, emotional, mental, and we find ourselves looking for emotional, mental, and physical solutions to a spiritual problem. So I'm here today to remind you of the spiritual solution for oppression and bondage that keeps us from experiencing the fullness of the life that Jesus purchased for us. All right? So we can't cover it all, or that would be the sole topic of church forever. And so my hope is that, that if you find yourself entrapped by something, if you find yourself bound by something, if you find yourself ashamed by something, either that you do or you think or you live, let today's message, let this encouragement that there is freedom be a catalyst to seeking it out. Amen? So how do we get out of oppression? Number one, we've got to call on God to deliver us. Now, here's the great news. While there is a strong man who can hold us captive, there is a stronger man who can set us free, and his name is Jesus. While there is a strong man that can, can, can convince us to stay hidden in the shadows in, in, of, our, of our shame and our guilt and our insecurity, while, while there's a strong man, it says that he's strapped to the, like the message version of this says that he's strapped to the teeth. Like he's got all of his armor and all of his weapon and he has convinced us that he's the most powerful, but there's one more powerful than the one who holds us captive. That's what Easter's about. That's what this season is about. It's about how there was one more powerful than all who came and conquered even the greatest enemy called death. By rising from the dead, Jesus proved through his life that there's nothing that he can't overcome, including the things that you can't overcome, including the things that I can't overcome. Now we've got to cooperate with him. By calling on him to deliver, calling on the strong man to come and set you free. The strongest man, the stronger man to come and set us free. 
the painful part of that is we have to acknowledge how or if we're stuck anyway. Now, I'm not asking you to look for something that you don't, that, that's not all the way there, but I think that we all need to be like Psalm 139. The psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me in the path of everlasting life. Some of, some of the things that hold us captive, it'll, it'll surprise you. I was held captive by unforgiveness, and there were all kinds of problems in my life, and I didn't realize that it was unforgiveness until somebody came to me and said, have you considered forgiving so-and-so for the offense in your life? And I was like, that was like nine years ago. We're pretty good. And he goes, I was just, I was just praying for you. It came to my mind. I thought I'd share it with you. And it's the kind of person where I was like, ah, oh, you know what, I should probably pray about it. And I was like, God, do I need to forgive this person? And God's like, uh, yeah. That's why I sent so-and-so to you. I was like, shoot. Because I didn't want him to be right, and I didn't want to forgive that person. I wanted to be okay in my unforgiveness. So I forgave the person. And I had a meeting with the person where I said, hey, I'm sorry. I apologized. I just said, I'm sorry. I, 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 like, I just want to apologize for my disposition towards you. And the person was surprised. They were like, yeah, uh, I thought we were good. And it was like, yeah, I thought we were too. But it was just surface level. I was lying to you and me. That's kind of awkward, right? But if it didn't set me free, if it didn't heal my relationships in other areas, if it didn't allow me to see my finances more clearly, Man, it, it allowed me to see things and hear things that had been being said and couldn't get done. It let, it let me, it allowed me to walk away from things that I was using to cope. And it allowed me to walk into areas of health that I didn't expect. It, it took the power of melted cheese out of my life. <laughs> as the authority of my freedom. It gave me a different kind of Freedom. So we need to call on God to deliver us with all the confidence that comes from, from the prayer uh, that, that Megan taught us to pray last week, that God's purpose wants to be accomplished in our lives and in the city of Denver. But it starts with God's people allowing God's purpose to be worked out in their lives. If we call out for God to, to pour out heaven on Denver, but, with, but without inviting him to pour out heaven in our lives, then we'll never experience it in the way that we want, him, we want it experienced. The second thing that we have to do is we call for God to deliver us is that we need to be ready to repent. Not just ready to repent, that sometimes we actually need to fully repent. And a repent is just a spiritual word for a change of direction. It's actually a change of belief. It's to think differently. We need to go, God, where I've looked for these other things to deliver me, where I've looked for these other things in my identity, while I've looked for these other things to set me free or to provide my wholeness or, or to allow me to walk in, in freedom, God, now I'm going to look to you for my ultimate freedom. I want you to lead me and guide me in my journey towards emotional and mental and physical health. I want you to be the one who I'm following in this. I, I surrender control of this journey to you, knowing and trusting that you're going to lead me into the freedom that you purchased for me because freedom's his idea in the first place. It is, it is absolutely necessary to highlight that whatever and any freedom we ever have demands a move of the Spirit of God. It demands it. 
The best we can do is reorganize our thoughts. The best we can do is, is navigate our, 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 our physical bodies, like where we put ourselves and what we put in our bodies. We can, we can change our chemical composition with the help of medicine. And, and sometimes that's absolutely, completely necessary. And I've got no problem with that at all. But if we don't find ourselves spiritually delivered, even in the midst of all the other changes that we can make, the enemy will continue to harass you for your lifetime. And there's not enough medicine. There's not enough. You can't work out hard enough. You can't be disciplined enough. You can't control your diet enough. You can't make enough friends. You can't have enough money. There's not enough that can be done in this life to silence the voice of the accuser. That alone is a work of God to silence the voice of the devil that would lie to you day in and day out about who you are, about what you can and can do, what you can and can't be. That somehow this oppressed life is the, the only life that God intended for you to live because that's all that you deserve. When Jesus is saying, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I've got rest for you. I've got freedom for you. It was for freedom's sake that Christ set us free, Galatians 1 says. So don't let yourselves become subject again to a yoke of slavery. When Jesus is offering us freedom, let's be the kind of people that say yes to freedom in all the ways that Jesus wants it for us. We need to, the last thing, so it's a, it requires a move of the Spirit. Now, um, you know, it, we, we've taken so long in the book of Luke, I, I think that you might, it'd be easy to forget that, that the whole way that Jesus is able to accomplish the things he's accomplishing is because he's filled with the Spirit of God. And it's the Spirit of God working through Jesus that enabled him to deliver this mute person, that allowed him to raise the dead, that allowed him to multiply the food and calm the storm and do all the other miracles that we've been studying over this last year and a half. As an aside, you can read through the book of Luke in two and a half hours or so. Hour 45 to about three hours and 15 minutes. Two and a half hours on average, you can read the book of Luke. And, and I'm afraid that sometimes when we, when we slow down and spend time in the book, you're going to accidentally think that, that the book of Luke is long and too much to handle on your own. It's like, no, it takes, it takes two years or more when you only spend 30 minutes a Sunday and when you only spend 30 minutes on Sunday talking about the book of Luke, it takes a long time, right? But you could read it in like two and a half hours. Just give up Netflix one night and you're there. Give up Hulu one night and you're there and you'll see how closely connected Jesus being filled with the spirit of God is to what we're talking about right now. His ability to deliver and to set free is because he is filled with the spirit of God. All right, so, so here's how we cooperate with it. We cooperate with a, a move of the Spirit by repenting when we need to repent. By cooperating with freedom. That means like if you've, if you've got an internet thing, have somebody put passwords on your, on, your, on your computer or your phone. Have somebody else do it. Cooperate with it. Don't, if you've got a problem that, that, that gets unleashed every time you go to the club, don't go to the club. Like, don't put yourself in the place <laughs> where, where you're given over to the things that are holding you captive. 
right? It seems, it seems easy enough, but I know, I know at eight o'clock at night, it's that much harder. I know at 11 o'clock at night that you're just writhing to do something fun or to do that thing because you don't know what life would be like without it, but I'm telling you there's freedom. Where you're not held captive. Have you ever, like, think for a moment what your life could be like here with a sanctified imagination and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Consider how free it would feel to not need the thing that you've been wrestling with this whole sermon. Can you even see it? Oh, to not be angry, to not rage when you get cut off, to not verbally, physically, or emotionally lash out at people. Can you see it? Can you see it by the Holy Spirit? Is he giving you a vision of freedom? To be at peace with the help of counseling and the help of, of community and the help of all the ways that God has designed for us to do. Can you imagine being at peace in an unpeaceful world? Can you imagine by the Spirit of God being content with your provision? Seeing how generously God has provided for you and he's supplying for you. Yeah, maybe you need more money. Yeah, sure, great. But like being at peace in the pursuit of the provision that God has for you instead of having to make it for yourself. Can you see it? We've got to obey Jesus. We've got to do what he tells us to do. And sometimes it's going to be forgiving a person we thought we could get away with forgiving, with, with, with not forgiving. Sometimes it's going to be giving when we think that we should be holding on. Sometimes it's going to be going to that person and, and confessing your weakness or your hidden sin or your and, and, and like diffusing the bomb of shame by just acknowledging it right off the top. We need to live in community. Some of us need to get counseling or get a trainer. And just get a trainer. You just need somebody to beat you up a little bit. And every single one of us needs to trust God. Every single one of us needs to trust God and ask God for a vision. It requires a move of the Spirit of God. We've got to work with it. We need to cooperate with it. But the kingdom of God is not about, it's, it's, it's not about earning. You can't, you can't do enough to earn the freedom, but it's not without effort. It requires our participation. And by living in community and allowing other people to remind us who we are, allowing other people to let us know when we're more tired than we think we are, when we're grumpier than we think we are, when we're falling back into patterns that are destructive or, or, or giving in to oppression in places where God would call us to live in freedom. Every single one of us, there, there, there's no way to cover the things that would need to be done for us to walk in freedom. But every single one of those things can fall under the banner of trusting God. Can you trust God with me, Hope Valley, for our freedom? Can you trust God with your freedom? Can you trust God with the freedom for our city? Can you trust God with the freedom for your family? Are you willing to step out and trust God? That's all that's required of us. Where have you been overpowered by the enemy? 
come to peace with it. The Spirit of God wants to give us a better vision, a hopeful future. And it will come about by a move of the Spirit of God as we cooperate with Him and we trust Him with our lives. Father, in the name of Jesus. Actually, everybody, can you go ahead and stand to your feet? We're gonna we're gonna be singing this last song together.